Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I am Chad Parsons, got Katie Flower here. We're going to be talking about tight ends, finishing out our series to win your 2022 Dynasty Leagues this year. We're a mere few weeks away, and the tight end position, it's amazing. Format really does decide things in terms of the approach, and more than wide receiver, more than running back, it really is about deciphering what are the differences in some of the main formats, and then deciphering the best strategy within the position for those. So, Katie, we've got three types. Basically, you've got your stock leagues, which are not that they don't exist anymore. There's plenty being created, but more and more, we see perks in terms of additional starters, perks in terms of scoring, especially, but you still have your, let's call them traditional one tight end, no frills, same PPR or half PPR, whatever it is, as the rest of the positions. You've got your premiums, which would be one and a half uh, PPR, two PPR, point per target, gradations, all those types of things. And then finally, you've got two tight end and then even two tight end with premium scoring dynamics. So those are some big changes that typically, I mean, you adjust quarterback scoring a little bit, maybe you got some point per carry, but I would say tight end across the dynasty landscape has the most different uh, levels of how important and how you should treat the position. Absolutely. And I'm going to start off with telling you, sharing with you about a trade that I made in a stock league. It's 23 man roster. So very tight on the roster spot. I have won the league or come in second every single year, except for last year I came in third and there's no money for third place. So I've been in the money every year for six years, except for last year. And my only weakness on that contending team is tight end with 23 roster spots. You don't have a whole lot to burn. And rather than, you know, I have the 110, the 210 and the 310, which means in a down rookie class, I'm looking at maybe a Jahan Dotson with my 110 or somebody of that ilk, you know, 210 and 310 aren't probably going to even make my roster. So I saw a guy who had George Kittle available and I offered all three of my picks and he accepted so I got George Kittle, short up my tight end position. I want a stud, and I've got a couple of ancillary. I've got uh, Albert O and, and Austin Hooper, which I think three tight ends in that format. You start one. It's not premium. However, a stud can make a difference. If you've got a stud at the tight end position in that format and you're loaded everywhere else, it's like the fuzzy dice in the mirror. You know, you can finally just trick out, dress out your roster. Um, I like the trade. I think it it shored up my position of weakness. And there wasn't any other stud tight ends available. Either the other team was very low and didn't feel like they could let them go. Thankfully, this team had two or three other tight ends and felt like kiddos getting old. 
he was hurt. He hasn't really done much to be in the top five of late, so I'll let him go. I got three draft picks. Woo-hoo. Yeah, um, you actually hit on, I think, one of the biggest points because especially in you know moderate rosters, yours definitely qualifies, and I would call it even 25, 26-man rosters, the moderate variety, that when you are a competitive team, if you don't have one of those top tight ends, that should be a goal of yours, where if you don't have weaknesses elsewhere you should be looking and mining for opportunities. You found an opportunity in a trade. It could be a team in September, October falling out of the race, and it, it could be one of the older tight ends that are on one of those rosters. But if it's basically the have and have nots, and it's a very, it's a more strict definition and list than any other position on what does that actually mean being one of the haves. And really, it's a short list. And some people... You know that that list very slightly, but most people consider it a big five. We might have a sixth or a seventh, depending on the year. But with Pitts, Andrews, Kittle, Kelsey, and Waller, that's the general consensus, and it's the biggest, most strict consensus of any position on what what do those top names mean, and 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 what does that indicate? So, if you don't have one of those guys. Maybe it's a Hawkinson. Maybe it's a Goddard. Who do you have a good sense of of another name that might join that group or has the potential? Because if you don't, you're kind of out in the wilderness. And I would say make that a point of emphasis. And we always talk, Katie, about what is easiest to fix: future drafts or you know just volume of trading that you can do. There's only you know there might be two of these guys on the same team. So if you don't have one. You don't have many options around the league to get one. Whereas, oh, I'm looking for a starting running back. I'm looking for a solid wide receiver. You're going to have options on basically every team in the league to possibly make a trade throughout the calendar. Tight end, lesser so. We've had pits in recent years, but no one else has really joined the group in recent years. We have people maybe fall off, but that would be the biggest thing is, are you on the inside of the circle or the outside? And Again, you don't necessarily need to worry about it if you're still building up your team, you're a bad orphan, you're not close to competing, but most people are. And I think all of a sudden you get a leg up on the competition because having one of those top tight ends, you literally can be like starting two versus some of your opponents. Right. You don't want to lose points to that position against the field if you're a contender and you've got the tight roster spots. You've got to fix it. And that was my only opportunity that I saw. Everybody else, like I said, was too weak to be able to even trade. It just wasn't in their wheelhouse. And that's the other thing when it comes to trading. Uh, I don't know if it bothers you or not, but when I look at a trade, I I try to look for a win-win trade. What does the other team need or want or look like they need or want? And I don't write a whole book. Like some some owners will write a whole book. Hey, it looks like you need this and this and this. So I'm offering you everything that you need and all, you know, and then some. That that drives me crazy. But trying to make it a win-win trade. If you can see that a team has two or three of those tight ends and it's only start one, you might be able to pry the cheapest of the three. And George Kittle having the the bad year. Actually, it's now going on two years. His average per game is still high, but he hasn't had a healthy season. So there's more question marks on him than even Travis Kelsey, who's four years older. 
Yeah. And and I'm going to flip it around because one mistake I've made, I had a couple situations, stock, you know, stock formats, low to mid 20s and roster size. And I think it's easy for folks and myself included. I had a few of these years where strong competitive team, I didn't have one of those hammers at tight end. And I started throwing roster spots at the position. I started to Turn the waiver wire every single week, looking under those rocks for streamers, for guys that could maybe for a month or the rest of the season turn into something. And I found it relatively futile. And this was really diving into it weekly, doing my best to unearth whatever value I could. And the, I think the biggest key in that depth, you're going to have options off the waiver wire. And I would urge folks not to use too many roster spots. I'm not saying you can only have one. But try not to go down the rabbit hole of three, four, five, especially if you're quote unquote fixing your the position and you don't have anything. Because even at 25, 26 roster spots, that's a lot to put into a position that frankly, you know you don't have the guy. You're trying to find something, a streamer, but there's options on the waiver wire. Use your bench like the waiver wire because whether you score six in a week or three, it doesn't really matter. And I know it kind of hurts your soul to roll out you know, a, a complete nobody at tight end. And it's better than that. You know, I, I'm emphasizing it for to make the point, but I, I really don't think once you start like, oh, this streamer is ranked tight end 15 for the week, as opposed like, let me make sure I roster that guy plus these other three guys, plus this guy on buy that's about the same. And I think if you roster a bunch of, of tight ends searching, searching, I, you're really just taking away from running back. You're really just taking away other opportunities with more upside. And I would I would just caution people not to chase it with roster spots when there's not like premium scoring. It's not too tight end where we certainly can have a much better conversation on why roster spots towards the position are important. But stock, I really don't think it is because your likelihood of finding it, it is not enhanced because the guys are still off the waiver wire that you're picking up and you might drop them the next week. I just think it's literally a hamster wheel of inefficiency with roster spots. I agree. And that's why I think that, especially if you're a contending team in that format, you do need one of those top five, top six guys to make a difference. And you got to figure out how can you do that without mortgaging all the rest of your solid position that you've got. And really, that means draft picks. I happen to, this happened to be one of my later latest rookie drafts. I think I've got one more that still needs to start. It's a Debbie rookie combined. But this was one of, this was only like a week and a half, two weeks ago, end of July. And so here we are. I'm at the position where I can trade all three picks to get a very solid position. That's a no brainer. Well, and also think about if you spend rookie capital, we always say reverse engineering this. I've got a need at tight end. Well, tight end, tight end is usually the slowest moving position to actually know what you have. Three years, four years. You're looking for signs in the first couple of years more than anything. And other than Kyle Pitts, and we'll see what he develops into, but you know, if you've spent a, a, a pick because you had a need at tight end at Pat Fryermuth last year, did that fix it? Did that have you catching up to George Kittle and Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey? We'll see, but he wasn't there last year. High level of competition for targets in Pittsburgh. They lack a quarterback. We'll see, but the equation doesn't look perfect. Cole Komet, if you spent you know a meaningful pick on him, did that solve anything? I mean, I'm Albert O. We will see. 
And again, he was a guy that probably was available on waiver wires at points or available for super cheap in trading. So you didn't necessarily have to dive in. TJ Hawkinson, we're still like, everyone assumes he's part of that group. He's not. He needs to take a step forward to be part of that group. Noah Fant, same thing. Those are two guys with big capital, probably spent a first round pick on them. You're still kind of waiting. This isn't two tight end discussions. This is a one tight end discussion. You're probably still waiting. And, and now we're going back a few years of, of draft classes here trying to find the next guy. And I think what we're saying is trading for tight end makes a heck of a lot of sense because it's hard to target. And the guys that are proven, it takes so long typically, or a good amount of capital. Kyle Pitts as a rookie was a top five pick and he worked out. But guess what? Hawkinson didn't. Fant didn't in terms of hitting the ground running, putting him in your lineup right away. And so I just think when you when you reverse engineer it, tight end is one you're not going to want to chase in rookie drafts in general. And people are still waiting for Evan Ingram. People are still waiting for Eric Ebron. I mean, uh, and he was a 2014 first round tight end. And seriously, uh, people are holding him. He's a free agent and people are holding him over you know, who knows who else? And he may get a gig, but where? I mean, at this point, right. it's because somebody probably got injured. It doesn't mean that he's got the talent. So there's there's a bunch of landmines out there at the position, and especially in the the tight end two, that, I mean, you really need some depth there. You and I are in a couple leagues together where it's tight end premium start to tight end. And, and that is the hardest position to fix. Well, let's well let's start with the premium scoring. So let's go to 1.5, 1.75, 2.0, where you get that above the wide receiver and running back position. How does that change things for you in terms of now that it brings them into the flex conversation a little more in terms of a team build or weekly options there? Are you usually allocating more roster spots if you don't have one of the top four or five guys? Is that next tier more interesting because of the scoring? A little bit, but not really, because you think about it, it's per reception. That means they still have to get targeted. That boosts them if they get six, seven and it catches in a game. But if they're not targeted, if they're just a blocking tight end, then no, I don't, it doesn't really change. Do I want them on my team or not? So there's still, you still have to be choosy. You still have to have, try to have at least one in that top tier and then maybe a couple in, in the middle uh, tier that could. But what I look for in a tight end, somebody that hasn't done it in a tight end premium, what is the rest of the situation? Who's the quarterback and who's the number one wide receiver? If they don't have a number one wide receiver and they've got a decent quarterback, that's a pretty good mix. That's a bet like uh, Robert Tunyon this year. He had a really good year a couple of years ago and then he fell off. But now no Devontae Adams and you still got Aaron Rodgers throwing the football. Who's going to step up at number one? Is Romeo Dobbs, Dobbs really going to be the guy? He may be, but out the gate as a rookie, there's going to be plenty of targets for the tight end, and he's cheap, cheap right now. So he's somebody that I would be interested in as a flyer, as one of my backups, and just hopeful that I'll be able to maybe get a half dozen games out of him this year. Yeah, the thing I see generally is at 1.5 PPR, the average 
person playing in those leagues overrates what that means. They overrate the 0.5 added on as a premium for the scoring. Because as you said, most tight ends don't see enough volume for that to make a big difference. And then when you start getting 1.75, especially 2.0, it does bring in a lot of a lot of the rest of the say the top 15 or so tight ends to saying, "Oh, I need a flex. I'm in a pinch. Let me let me start Zach Ertz, you know, in my flex because I don't like my other options, you know, per se. It's not that you maybe plan on him on a weekly basis, but that might mean Mike Gesicki, Hunter Henry, uh, you know, options like that could be in your flex discussion a few times during the year. That helps. Actually, that having that tight end two or even that third tight end on your roster can get you through versus waiver options or maybe a, a, a complete dart throw at wide receiver that's a number two, number three option for their team as opposed to the starting tight end. So, And if they get that touchdown, you know, then you're golden. Is is typically for the have-nots at tight end. It's basically touchdown or bust um, you know, because the volume is, is very fleeting there. So I would say in general... Two, t- two PPR is where the premium really starts to matter and bring in more flex options. 1.5, not so much. And especially at FFPC level, I see so many people, oh, I got to have a bunch of different tight ends. Well, it's 1.5. It's shallow rosters. You got good running backs on the waiver wire and you're saying no so you can hold some marginal tight end because they get an extra half half PPR. Um, that's just one example out there in the landscape that uh, I, I think is an inefficiency of, well, that means you can maybe sell into it. That means, uh, again, you'll have opportunities to maybe go lean just because of of the waiver wire at, at just such a restricted depth there. So you were talking about two tight end um, specifically. So that's where you start adding to the starting lineup. And then we're seeing a lot now. I mean, maybe it's just because we're plugged in and we like that sort of format, but you start going 1.5, 1.75, two PPR in addition to start two, that's really where it's a stick of dynamite and it kind of blows your blows your head up if you're unfamiliar with positional value because I mean I've said before, Kyle Pitts in a format like that has the argument to go 101 because of premium scoring, scarcity of position and profile, and then you're starting two as well. So the baseline just goes all the way out to Kansas because it's because you're starting 24. And if you've ever looked at, at what tight end 24 is and you say, well, that's an auto starter in the format and they score five, six points a game or catch two two balls a game, it's a pretty scary sight. Yeah, that's Logan Thomas. That's John Smith. That's, that's pretty scary. <laughs> um, but it also... It makes it almost so it's very difficult to trade and execute a trade in that format because you and I have Kyle Pitts in that format. There is absolutely, there's almost nothing that we could be offered that would make us part. You think about, you've got to get four or five blue chip pieces and then you've got to drop three or four. Just, you've got the one guy. Why would you want to give up that one guy? in such a premium position. So it, it makes it very difficult. If you don't get your lineup out of the gate in a, in this format, it makes it very hard. You're going to be chasing your tail for the rest of your dynasty career with that lead. And, and so, as I've mentioned before, the reverse engineering, if that is the most premium position, you want to get at least a couple of studs early in the startup draft and then running back is so easy to fix organically through rookie drafts in the future. The first year or two, you struggle. 
because you haven't flushed out your wide receivers and running backs like you normally would, but you're solid at tight end, you've still got an advantage over your league mates. You've got to hold on to them with a vice grip. Well, and you think about the trade market, as you said. I mean, if, if all of a sudden everyone has to start two, it's kind of like quarterback in the same level. If you're starting two at, at either of those positions, think about what it takes for a team to have one available. Like, oh, I can spare because we, we've, we've done this before. So two are in your lineup. Three makes you feel quasi-comfortable. That's sort of the minimum because the third one is for injury or bye weeks, and you're going to be using them a decent amount. And that doesn't... Uh, and so, so you're automatically in for three. Who has four? <laughs> who has four in the league? So then that, that's the only team and they're going to know you're the only audience. Like you're, you walk up, you're like, yes, sir. I'd like myself a tight end, please. And make it affordable. And you, you walk up to the bar and order your drink. Well, there's, there's no one selling. There's one team and they know, well, I have four. I feel comfy at a position that it's hard to fix. You know, Hunter Henry is my four, you know, like just creating a scenario. And it's like, they would love to have Hunter Henry as their number two. So that that's the scarcity landscape. I've coached and I, I swear two tight end is growing because I've I've made more two tight end boards for subscribers in these summer months. Um, I've done two myself, and the same advice holds firm in every single one of them, which is A, it's really tough to trade down in the startup draft in the first three or four rounds. Because you know you got to hit the important positions like quarterback and especially tight end when it's start two, you get the premiums up. And that's the time to quote unquote fix the position at the very outset. The problem, as you said, Katie, when you get into an existing league, is you can throw roster spots on it till you're blue in the face. Oh, every third round of a rookie draft, I'm going to draft a, you know, an early day three guy or maybe the last remaining day two tight end. Does that fix anything? Eh, we'll see. The odds aren't super great. You actually end up with something that's multiple year and you know a guy that ends up being top 12, top 15 at the position. That's a really high end outcome from that spot of the draft. And then you say, oh, well, I'll just mine the waiver wire. Oh, like everybody else. <laughs> like It's even. like People are like, oh, I'll just do the waiver wire thing. All of your league mates are doing it too. So it's, I mean, yes, it's fair and it's straight up and you can be aggressive. But they're still in it too, and then you and then we already discussed the trading part. It's just really, really difficult. And you mentioned if you have one of those guys, like to get the inertia of getting you off that position of like, oh, it's a two tight end league. I've got you know Travis Kelsey and Dallas Goddard and you know uh, and Dalton Schultz. Like it's going to take you a good amount to move off those guys. Because again, I think everyone comes from one tight end and you're just not used to that position carrying the weight. But that's why you have to know your format, know your surroundings, and know where you are. And the new environment is tight ends are king. Yeah. You and I, in one of our leagues, it's start two tight end with one and a half PPR. And we had an owner come to me and I didn't include you in the conversation. So now you get to hear it. Uh, but they asked me, what do I want? What do we want for XYZ tight end? And I said, I'm sorry, but we don't have any tight ends to spare. And we've got Travis Kelsey, Kyle Pitts as our two studs. But then we've got Firemuth, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, Albert O. We don't have very <laughs> many. Don't have a square to spare. Right. Well, but we can start two is the right. minimum. But we can start up to eight. So we could right. flex tight ends if we need to. And with the right. one and a half premium, again, it's keep away. Right. 
contending team. Why would we want to trade and do them a favor, let them off the hook? I don't know what they could trade us. We're solid at all the other positions. Right. Why so, would- so it would have to be one of the top, you know, 10 to 20 players for the, you know, just across all positions because that represents an upgrade type thing. Right. Right. So even a guy like Evan Ingram, I wouldn't trade him for a small amount because a random pick, right? Right. Because that only helps the other team. It, it, Evan Ingram may never see our starting lineup. And I hope he doesn't just because that means we're super strong with everything that we just said. So it's as much of a strategy of playing keep away as it is just from a logistics standpoint, how many can you roster? Yeah. Um, you actually brought up a point that I had down uh, to discuss. So let's let's go back to one tight end for one second because you mentioned it right there in terms of playing keep away. If you're sitting in a stock league and you've got you know, say Pitts and Kelsey. So you can start one, you could flex the other. Do you consider that keep away? So, you know, you could flex them, but do you consider it as I don't want to help my competition with a finite number of players that matter or can even match up with me, you know, in in head to head situations? Or do you say, I've got two, and if I can help out the other positions where I start more than one mandatory, how do you how do you kind of approach that situation if you have two of the two of the halves at tight end, but it's a start one? Yeah, I mean it depends. If it's Kelsey and then let's say it's Mark Andrews, Kelsey, let's face it, is 32. How many more years is he going to be that keep away guy? Gronkowski finally retired, Jimmy Graham, you know, they were the two top tight ends. Eventually they're going to see the sun set and be, be moved. So uh, it depends on how much you think that it will weaken or what happens if your other tight end that is left now gets hurt. You're going to, you're going to have to throw something and fix the position. So it depends on if I'm really well stocked at the other positions, then no, I'm holding a vice grip on my second tight end. But if I need to shore up a running back or I need to shore up at some other position and that'll make me, be able to be in contention, then I would I would entertain the idea of a trade for one of the two, probably the older of the two. Yeah, I think I think the the first thing is like you said to kind of assess where you are because the ultimate I've said before the ultimate team building is if you can kind of build two starting lineups so that you have ultimate insulation. It takes a while to get there. You know, you have some good fortune in the startup. You got to draft well, trade well. Do all that stuff. It's probably not happening in the first year or two of your league's existence. But if you are in that position, you want to have every backup plan at each position covered where you go, well, if one of these guys, you just brought it up, if they miss time, if they miss the rest of the year, I don't want to be chasing my tail at the position because then I'll be there. And if you have two, then you're good to go. So it really still has to be the right package um, and the same principles, you know, that you know, you might feel comfortable with f- at least four in a start two. Same might apply. You know that if you're a super strong elite team, you have two quality tight ends, and that's basically the right amount. It provides you with a flex opportunity anytime, and frankly, it's probably going to be equivalent to a top twelve, top fifteen wide receiver, and you're still going to have the the opportunities, you know, through buys and injuries, to really protect yourself so that that bad year or things don't go sideways based on one or two injuries. Um, I would say one thing also in two tight end uh, that. You got to be careful. I see a number of leagues that 
it might be 30 man rosters and that's tight for super flex slash two quarterback and two tight end 30 roster spots is very tight because now you're going to roster minimum four or five tight ends i would imagine so you really have to approach it kind of like a shallower league with running backs that you can't roster all the backup tight ends of note they're going to be out there you need to play the waiver wire for that and so you don't want to build too heavy. And that actually puts more emphasis, like I said, in the early rounds of the startup or just in general, making sure your top two, three, four are solid because you're not going to have the roster spot size and roster space for many more on your roster. It's really with 35, even 40-man rosters is when you can kind of play in the sand and have some of your favorite injury away guys at the position. Yeah. So two guys that I think could potentially break out or have strong years and i want to get your opinion on this yeah um, but i think that the storm the the storm is is circling and swirling so that these guys could have a perfect storm type season uh david joku in cleveland and austin hooper in tennessee they don't have the super stud wide receiver well you do it in cleveland you got amari cooper but now you've got a top prime quarterback as long as he gets to play some games this year um, with Deshaun Watson. So David Joku is one question. The other one, Austin Hooper, I think it's going to take Traylon Burks. It's going to be an up and down rookie season for him. He's got the talent. He's looking good. He had a slow start, you know, with the asthma and everything like that. But uh, Robert Woods coming off injury may be all right. But I think that that Austin Hooper has the opportunity, even with Ryan Tannehill, I think he's a decent enough passer uh, to get him several targets this year, not in a necessarily uh, three-year window, but for this year, I think Austin Hooper might be one of those guys that you want to have. What do you think? Yeah, I think those two are on my, you know, if I had four or five tight ends outside the top, say 10, you know, they would certainly be on that short list because, and, and honestly, with David Njoku, we still don't know about how many games Watson will play. I think it would, he would be the easy button if Watson was going to only be out the six. So if he ends up being out 12 or the year, obviously, I think that changes the calculus uh, for the upside equation. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I wish, like, I, there's that, that meme where it's like, you know, you kind of wish everybody loved you the way that the Browns love David Njoku. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people were surprised by the big contract. They let Hooper go. Najoku, no, you stay for big money. You know, and they've just stood by him every step of the way where we've seen the flashes. It's interesting because he came in just a baby, barely 21 years old. And it was like, oh, developmental. We start seeing flashes and all of a sudden we have these big expectations. It's still taking him a while, you know, but but I would remind folks that 25 to 30 is that sweet spot for a tight end to peak out. It's not or it's not earlier in their twenties, and he's just hitting twenty six this year, so he's still on the young side. I know it feels like he's been quote unquote disappointing us forever, but I mean he has as much physical upside as almost anybody at the position in the entire NFL. So to me, it's if Watson plays a decent chunk of the season, that it's Amari Cooper, but then secondarily David Njoku as as a huge benefactor to that, and Hooper's been one of my like. I mean, I, the action planning part of this, you know, in a startup draft, yes. Am I out there sending offers for him every single day? No. But I mean, Austin Hooper has a really high floor, I think. Maybe he's not a top eight guy, but I think he's going to be in the top 18. And the way his dynasty price is way out by like 25 to 30, I mean, he seems like an easy button in terms of 
especially in two tight end, you start getting, he's going to catch enough balls to actually have that, you know, two PPR and stuff matter. So um, yeah, those are two really good ones that, that UTH definitely, I, I have them ranked higher than, uh, than their ADP. So um, yeah, those two are, are, are pretty stable options. And the key here is tight end. You got to prove it. You know, it, it's such a position that it's hard. It's a hard position in the NFL to stick on the field and then produce enough that we care about you for putting in fantasy lineups. And so taking shots, like what I don't like is when people take high leverage shots on guys like Irv Smith, for example, he's hardly done anything and he's behind two really high quality wide receivers and he's behind, you know, Dalvin cook catch, you know, and it's just, I, I, I think sometimes people get over their skis with, you know, like I like Brevin Jordan as a super sleeper, but don't sit there and he's your plan one. He's your only plan. So I think people kind of pick players that are haven't done enough, whereas Hooper, he's done plenty in his career. David Njoku has done a lot compared to Irv Smith and compared to others. So I think it's, you have to really be careful about anointing, especially in two tight end when the stakes are high, anointing the have never done it and suddenly you will do it uh, crowd as your, your big time options. Yeah, another one that I think is a reasonably priced uh, guy that could have a decent season is Zach Ertz, especially the first half of the year without DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona with Kyle Murray. Um, Again, I don't think you have to pay much. I think he's more of a bridge tight end, but I think he's somebody that would be worth kicking the tires on. Well, and just a reminder, I mean, no tight end uh, active in the NFL has more top 12 seasons other than Travis Kelsey. It's Travis Kelsey, then Zach Ertz. And if you want to put dirt on him and, and oh, Trey McBride's going to take his job, rookie tight ends don't really do that, especially not once drafted in the later second round. Um, and Ertz has been there, done that. I mean, he's had a number of top t- five seasons. He was tight end 11 last year when things weren't really going great, you know, in terms of, you know, just unsettled situations for Zach Ertz. And so, yeah, I mean, with, with Hopkins out, and I, it's, I just don't think McBride's going to be a huge factor that's going to make Ertz not be in the top 10, top 12. I, I, I'm not scared of McBride at yeah. all. Yeah, exactly. That's a future. That's a future team building Arizona kind of pick. And Ertz may not be in the plans next year, but that's not 2022. That's uh, next offseason discussion point. Um, I want to rapid fire a few of the more interesting trades I found in terms of the premium scoring dynamic here. So this is moving within the position uh, for many of these. So where do you find the value here? So moving off Kyle Pitts, it's 1.5. So Kyle Pitts and Wandale Robinson for George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. So what do you think about moving within that top five? Boy, that's tough. Because I do think that, that Kyle Pitts is the kind of guy that is playing the position as a wide receiver. So I think that no matter who his quarterback is, whether it's Marcus Mariota or who, I think he will get a lot of targets. Drake London, I like him. I think he will eventually you know, be the wide receiver one in Atlanta, I hope, anyway. But that's going to take a little bit to get there. It's hard. I'm not a Wondell Robinson fan either. That piece to me means nothing. And Ayuk is an actual significant piece. So I guess it would depend. I think it's pretty close. I mean, I don't don't hate it, but I would probably keep hits myself. Yeah, I think if Ayuk puts up a top 20, top 24 season, then you'll feel fine about the trade. 
but you also have to think about is Kittle on a shorter leash? You know, like in two years, where do you sit? You know, is Pitts 24? He's still atop the position. Kittle's 30 and wearing down, 31, you know, and and Ayuk, we're still kind of waiting. Like Debo coming back and re-signing, for example, is not great. Usually, you know, splitting that pie, we'll see how that works. You know, is there enough for Ayuk and Debo to coexist there and both be quality fantasy options? Um, so I, I think you probably got to do a little better. And I'm one of the biggest Ayuk fans out there. Um, I, I think you got to do a little better uh, than Pitts, uh, for Pitts. Um, this one, and, and just to provide one piece of commentary, I think this is an example of you've got to play the positional premium a little bit better. Mark Andrews and a 24 second for DK Metcalf and a 24 first. So you can really like Metcalf and you can want to accumulate first, but one of them is more rare at their position. And I'm not saying you can just walk around every street corner and find a DK Metcalf. But I also think right now in August is not this right for this season. It's not the time to buy T- DK Metcalf. You're probably going to have future opportunities that you don't have to give up Mark Andrews. Yeah, I'm on the Mark Andrews side. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I don't even know that DK Metcalf has done what people really want him to. He's, he's done all right, but um, I think he's more projection than, put up those Mike Evans type numbers early in his career and know that they're going to sustain it. I'm worried a little bit about him. Well, and also what's the upside for this season when you have a a legitimate quarterback liability and Tyler Lockett's been highly productive. I mean, there's a world where neither one of them are top 24 this year. And what does that do to DK Metcalf? I know Lockett will fall through the floor at his age, but Metcalf, he's a guy that I would circle back around you know, later in the season, especially if, it, if he's miring in the wide receiver 30s. Maybe it's early next offseason before they assess quarterback, let's say. Um, and, and I think that might be, over the last 24 months, might be one of the low opportunities if you are looking to buy. Um, I had another one. Uh, so this is a Mark Andrews deal for uh, two PPR. So we're ramping it up all the way here. We got Mark Andrews and Michael Gallup for Christian McCaffrey and a 23 second. So still star one. Star one. And it's two PPR. Man, I'd still rather have Andrews. Okay. But this is, again, I mean, closer to what you're probably looking for, right? It's just an impact player in another position. McCaffrey can lap the position just like Andrews could at his. Right. So, yeah. The the longevity of Andrews versus CMC. CMC and a running back, you know, when they're 27, 28, you put them out to pasture. And what is CMC now? 26, 25? Right. so Mark Andrews is 26 as a tight end. You can expect at least a six-year. You would expect at least a six-year window with him at that premium. Right. Versus, yeah, I, I love Christian McCaffrey, but I, I just think that Andrews gets a lot of targets. He's not just your average inline tight end. He's out there. He's Lamar's binky. Right. Last uh, last question here, and this is two PPR. Still start one. Kyle Pitts for Cole Komet, a twenty three first and a twenty four first. I'd still want Pitts. Okay. 
Kemet is just that I don't think he's going to be more than an average Joe for the entirety of his career. And then the first, as much as I love both the 23 and the 24 class, at this point, I'd still rather have Pitts. Yeah. The, the big thing for me is I don't think Komet has much of a ceiling. Right. And uh, and we've said it before. If you finish at tight end nine or tight end 16, there's not a big difference. And so him getting the top 12 moniker, whether it's this year or future years, it really isn't you know that much of a of a chain mover versus what you can find from Austin Hooper by trading a third round pick, you know, or mining the waiver wire for some matchups in September October. Um, I, I think you know you're just chasing chasing something that kind of looks better. Oh, developmental tight end. He's in his early twenties. He had you know round two pedigree. So, but he's not part of the subset. I think would be would be one of my final thoughts here. What are what are some wrap up conclusionary? Looking towards 2022 here at the tight end position. Just like quarterback, tight end is one of those where I want the aged veteran. Like you said, they don't even start to peak till they're about 25, 26, 27 years old. Um, and then when they do, they are typically pretty consistent. They're going to, unless an injury happens, they will stay there. And the reason that they do is because there's not a lot of other people coming up through that will take their spot. So you want to get a stud. It doesn't have to be the 21 year old Kyle Pitts. You're going to pay through the nose if you're trying to target. Look for the least expensive, the Darren Wallers and the Kittles. Yes, they've disappointed at times, but when they're in and healthy, you know you're starting them. And that's a good feeling. Yeah. And we always, we always say something along the lines of you want as many no brainer lineup decisions as possible. And tight end is one of the easy ones where you'll sit there and click the same box over and over again. You know, when they're healthy, they're in. It's binary. It's easy. And and frankly, you know, we could use a few more easy lineup decisions in our life when we get to Thursdays and Sundays in season. There, uh, another no-brainer. Uh, check Katie out between episodes. You know her as the diva of Devi. You can find her on Twitter at ff underscore skyler three ninety nine. We are here with NFL Film Note, uh, UTH Film Note, excuse me. So you're going to hear from me um, every single week. I put out four episodes this past week to open up the preseason where I'm going to watch the game so you don't have to, frankly. Uh, half of the games are drudgery. So uh, again, there, there are tea leaves to be had, though, and we are fleecing out depth charts. We're seeing young players. This You might not see them in October, but we want to have the scouting profiles of where they stand in the talent hierarchy of the NFL, seeing them at a new level of competition. So as these games go Thursday through Sunday, uh, I'm going to put those games out distilled down where it's a few minutes per game. And you're going to get the information you need as a dynasty owner to dominate your own roster, the waiver wire, and looking ahead with your own watch list for what could come up in the future. So you've got four installments from week one you can check out. I also posted nine instructive dynasty trades after week one of the NFL preseason, some of those hot and cold players by narrative street out there if you're on Twitter. And then also, I got a pretty exciting series that I, I want to uh, just give a heads up uh, later this month that I'm going through. We actually did a great hybrid Dynasty League where we did a live auction 
and then a slow auction paired up. And you're going to hear all the commentary, including the live auction commentary uh, from myself and a UTA subscriber um, co-owner to that situation coming up later this month once uh, it's done, probably the next week or so. So you're going to get hours and hours of just talking players. But I don't recall anything, UTH or other platform that's ever done live auction commentary talking through the Dynasty startup lens. So pretty excited about that. Would love your feedback. But again, if you're not a general manager subscriber, it's on the premium feed. You can get it on any podcasting app you want. And so try it out. If you don't like it, if you're one of the 0.001% over the years that hasn't liked UTH uh, premium membership, let me know. We'll fix it. And uh, uh, you don't have to worry about it with a money-back guarantee. So uh, that's my pitch. Uh, We're getting ready for the season, but if you want to have your best season yet, subscribe to UTHDynasty.com. So for Katie Flower and myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. Go Dynasty!